This morning we are reading all of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abram, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst. He's a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from all the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he's commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? 
Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt, against Pharaoh, and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. Amen. Thanks, Ted. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the way that it points us to who you are and to the Lord Jesus. Please give us understanding as we look at it together now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Learning to love someone well can be a tricky exercise. Now, if you're married or you've ever had a relationship or you have parents or family or you've ever interacted with people, you probably know what I mean. It can be tricky. Uh, let me give you a, a silly little example. It's our first Christmas together as husband and wife, and Jess and I have been married nearly a year. And we're still getting to know each other. Jess loves Christmas presents, so it's important to me that I get this right. And I love practical, useful gifts. So I go and I buy Jess something practical and useful and boring. Just like I like. <laughs> Jess loves funny, fun, enjoyable gifts. And so she buys me something funny and fun and pretty impractical. And both of us wind up disappointed. See, that Christmas morning, we learned that we still had a long way to go in learning to love each other well. Love is, is not just about doing what we would like. You have to get to know the other person. You have to listen to and remember what they say, to see what they love and see what they hate. To love someone well, you have to love them in light of who they are and what they love. And that's true for Israel too. Here on the edge of the promised land. Remember, God has rescued them from Egypt. They've been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And now in Deuteronomy, they're standing on the edge of the land, about to go in and receive everything that God has promised them. But before they go, Moses sits them down to remind them of what the Lord has done for them. To call them to listen to the Lord and obey all that he's commanded them. To live as his people in relationship with him. This is actually the good life, loving life with the living God in the land that he's given them. A life that's good because it's life in relationship with God, the one who is good and the one who is the source of all life. 
And you could boil it all down to loving the Lord well. And that's what we see here in Deuteronomy chapters 6 to 8. In response to God's saving grace, God's people are to love him with a wholehearted, all-of-life love. But thankfully, Moses doesn't leave them guessing what this will actually look like. They don't have to figure it out through trial and error like Jess and I did. Through Moses, the Lord tells them how to love him, how to live in relationship with him. He tells them what wholehearted love for him should look like. And this description of wholehearted love that Moses gives, it's not just relevant for Israel on the edge of the promised land, it's relevant for us too, because this is our response to God too. We also need to hear this command, to love the Lord your God. Now, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, they're some of the most famous words in the Bible. Even today, they are recited daily by many Jews as a central part of their faith. They're important words. And you can tell that they're important because Moses starts by saying, listen up, pay attention. These next words that you hear are going to be very important. And it's fitting that these important words begin with a command to hear, because remember, the Lord revealed himself by speaking on the mountain, not by showing himself. He's a God who's not seen, but a God who is heard. So we'd better listen. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This seems pretty cryptic. It's very brief. It's actually quite difficult to translate. You'll probably notice that your Bibles in the footnotes have quite a few alternatives. But Moses is reminding the people of the Lord's character. First, he calls him the Lord, our God. The Lord is the one who has rescued them out of Egypt. He's the one who's made promises to them. He came and he made a covenant with them, committing himself to a formal relationship with them. They are his people and he is their God. They have a relationship with him. And he is one. This is a brief phrase. It's a little hard to nail down exactly what he's saying. It could be that the Lord alone is God that he is the one and only God, completely and utterly unique. That would make sense of why they have no other gods, because the Lord is God alone. But it might also be saying that God is completely unified in himself. You know how we call someone two-faced when they say one thing here and do something else there? They're duplicitous. It's like there's more than one version of them. In the ancient world, they worshipped gods like this. In one place, they'd worship this aspect of a God. In another place, they'd worship the same God in another aspect. But the Lord is not like this. He is always consistent, always faithful to his word, always true to what he says. He is one God, not to be worshipped in different aspects, but to be worshipped as one. He is a God with integrity. He is a God that his people can truly know. 
And if the Lord is God alone, if he always acts with integrity and consistency, then their response to him should also be wholehearted and consistent. A wholehearted, all-of-life love. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. See, this is the fundamental response to the God who has loved his people who has rescued them from slavery and covenanted himself to them. They are to love him. But this isn't just a a touchy-feely kind of love. The 90s band, DC Talk, they had a, a song called Love is a Verb. And I think that's true. This love is a verb too. The kind of love that this verse is talking about is not mainly a feeling. Feelings come and go. This love is a commitment to faithfulness, a willing decision to be loyal to the Lord, to keep his covenant, to live in relationship with him, to live as his people. This love may include feelings and emotions. In fact, given all that the Lord has done for his people, it should. But it's not mainly about the feelings. It's about that commitment. And this commitment to loving, living in relationship with the Lord, it will encompass every part of their lives. They're to love the Lord with all their heart, their soul, and their might. This is a love that begins deep down in the centre of who they are, and it flows out into every part of their lives. Let me show you what I mean. First, they're to love the Lord their God with all their heart. When the Bible uses the word heart, it's not mainly talking about that emotional part of us. That's how we normally use the word. Moses is talking about that willing, choosing, desiring, feeling centre of who we are. It's us deep down at the core. The things that we love, the things that we choose, the things that we think and feel. The things that they all come from our heart. And this flows out into every part of our lives. That's why the Bible talks about guarding your heart carefully. That's why Jesus says that sin doesn't come from outside of us, but it comes up from our hearts. God's people are to love God with all of their heart. That's all of their desires, their decisions, their lives are to be directed to and shaped by the Lord. Love for the Lord should be the defining feature of God's people's lives. All their thoughts and loves and decisions are to be defined by their love for the Lord and their commitment to Him. But that's not the end of it. Second, they're to love the Lord their God with all their soul. He's not really talking about the disembodied spirit part of us, like we often use the word soul. The word means life or breath. It includes all of life and desire and personality, everything that is in you. It includes the concept of the heart, but it's bigger and broader. All of our words, our character, our personalities, our inner thoughts and our dreams and desires, all of it is to be shaped and driven by our love for the Lord. And third, that love the Lord their God with all their might. This is even broader again. It includes all the resources which are available to us. It includes our physical strength, like might, 
but it also includes our abilities, our skills, our time, our money, our homes, our energy and effort. All of these things are resources at our disposal. And we're to use all of them in love for the Lord. Notice this includes the heart and the soul, but it's broader. It's absolutely everything in our power. See, loving the Lord your God, it's not just a private internal thing that happens in our minds or in our hearts. It's meant to flow out. This love is a verb. It flows out in everything we say and think and do and how we use our money and our time and our resources. It begins in our hearts and it flows out as we use everything we are and everything that's at our disposal in love for the Lord. And this is the kind of response that is actually fitting for this God. That's what it looks like to live in relationship with him as his saved people. In response to God's saving grace, we are to love him with a wholehearted, all-of-life love. And this isn't just for the Israelites. It's our response too. Remember, the Lord of Deuteronomy is our Lord too. Our God is one God. We have even more evidence of his integrity, his consistency, his faithfulness. We have seen in his faithfulness and grace him even give his own son for us. Wholehearted, all of life love is our right response to this God too. This love, it should shape the way that we think, what we feel, what we love, the way we act and spend our time and our money. No part of our lives is above repentance and change in love for the Lord. This is what it looks like to live in relationship with the Lord who saved us. Now, if we're honest, we fall short of this all the time. We've all chosen this week, probably even this morning, to love other things above God. We've put our hope in things that cannot save. We've disagreed his commands in our thoughts and our words and our deeds. We've neglected to do the good things that, he is, that we ought to do. Rather than love God, we have said no to God and we've lived our own way. But that's why we need Jesus. You see, he is the one who loves God perfectly. Even willingly dying on the cross to love his father and to do his will to the end. He's been faithful where we've been unfaithful. He's responded to God properly where we have not. Through faith in Jesus, we find in him forgiveness for our failure to love God wholeheartedly. We find his righteousness counted to us so that we can come to God with confidence as his sons and daughters and grow in love for him. We find his provision as he gives us his Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out, to change our hearts, to love God and live for him. We can only do this with God's help. But thankfully in Jesus, we find all we need for forgiveness and to grow in love for God. Moses doesn't leave us guessing about what this all-of-life love actually looks like. In fact, you could say that the whole book of Deuteronomy is showing us what this wholehearted love looks like as God's people live in the land. 
But here in chapter 6a, we see three main things. First, love the Lord your God by remembering and obeying his commands. This wholehearted, all-of-life love will mean that God's words and commands shape their whole lives. From their hearts, flowing out to every part of their lives. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God's words are meant to be everywhere in our lives. They're meant to be stored up in our hearts. They're meant to shape their everyday conversation. Parents should talk about God's word with their kids throughout the day, whether they're out and about or home and alone, whether they're lying down to go to bed or getting up in the morning. They're even to put God's word on their bodies and write them on their homes. Now, this might be a metaphor for having God's word in every part of their lives, but some Jews still do this today. They put God's word in little boxes tied on their foreheads. God's word is meant to shape their whole lives. And this is important because when they get into the land, things are going to go well for them. This is a good land that God's giving them as a gift. He is blessing them. In the midst of everything going well, it would be easy for their hearts to be turned away from the Lord, for them to forget that he is the one who rescued them from slavery and brought them here. It would be easy for them to turn away from the Lord and worship other gods. So they must keep God's commands central to every part of their lives, including teaching their kids. When their children ask about these commands, they're to remind them of the Exodus, of how God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt so they could live as his people in his land. That's why they've been given these commands. Verse 24, And the Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he may preserve us alive as we are to this day. These commands are for their good. They show the people what it looks like to love God. They point them to the good life in relationship with the living God. They need to remember God's commands and do them. And again, this points us to what it looks like for us to live in relationship with the Lord. Loving God looks like remembering his word, allowing his word to shape every part of our lives. It should be on our hearts. It should shape our conversations. We should be passing it on and teaching it to our kids. We need to keep coming back to it always, to keep remembering all that God has done for us in Jesus, to keep being reminded of what it looks like to love him. We need God's word to shape us from the inside out. Don't neglect God's word. Which brings us to the second way God's people love God wholeheartedly, by taking holiness seriously. That's what we see in chapter 7. At first, these words are actually a great shock. God tells the people what to do when they get into the land. 
better wage war against the people who live in the land. Verse 2. When the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. God commands his people to devote the peoples of the land to complete destruction. To show no mercy. To kill the people, the animals, the livestock. To destroy their altars and pillars and idols completely. God commands them to kill all the people in the land before them. We must not back away from how difficult this is. This is very challenging. Many people have seen this as genocide or as war crimes. Is God just glorying in violence? Others have used this as permission to commit terrible atrocities against other people. But I want to say to you that these verses actually show us what it looks like for us to live in wholehearted love for God. See, there are three things that we need to see from these challenging verses. They won't answer all the questions, but they will help. First, we need to see that God is judge. This is not arbitrary. God is not giving the Israelites justification to wipe these people out because the Israelites are inherently better. This isn't about race or ethnicity. This is God acting in judgment. Listen to what he says a little later in chapter 9. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. See, God is acting as judge. He is the one who made the whole world. He created everything. He sets the rules for what is good and right and what is wrong. He has the right to judge. In fact, it's right and it's good for him to act as judge. We get riled up, right, when we see the courts go light on punishing those who do wrong. And it's for good reason. It's unjust. And it would be unjust for God to ignore sin. He is the judge. We can't lose sight of this. Our God is the judge of all the world. He is not safe or tame. He is a good, but he is a God to be feared. It's our privilege to come to him as his children in Jesus, but that does not change the fact that he is judge. Second, we need to see that sin is deadly serious. All sin against the eternal God deserves death. Sin is turning our backs on the one who gives life. It's rejecting in him and acting in rebellion against him. All sin deserves death. The truth is that there are no real innocent people. 
We've all sinned against God and we all deserve his judgment. It's only God's mercy that he waits patiently to give us a chance to repent. And this is true for the people of Canaan too. They've sinned against God. They've worshipped other gods with all sorts of terrible practices, even sacrificing their own children to their gods. Death is the punishment their sin rightfully deserves. And Israel is the tool that God uses in this judgment. This is a one-time deal. Not something to be repeated. In fact, God gives them different rules for how they're to interact and wage war with people who are outside the land. God uses Israel in judgment against the people living in Canaan. Just like later, he will use other nations in judgment against Israel. But that doesn't let us off the hook. You see, our sin, just as much as the sin of the Canaanites, deserves death. The judgment of God against the Canaanites should show us just how horrific our sin is. That we too deserve death. When Jesus goes to the cross, this is the punishment he's taking for us. He's suffering the death that we deserve so that we can be God's people, forgiven in Jesus. Our only hope is in Jesus. But in him, God gives us grace. Which brings us to the third thing that we need to see from this. God's people are to be holy. And the word holy means separate. God is holy in that he is God, set apart from all creation. And he is perfectly good, separate from all that is evil and sinful. And God's people are to be holy too. Separate from sin as God's people. Look in chapter 7 verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. See, God rescued Israel from Egypt and part of loving him wholeheartedly is being a holy people. A people set apart from sin as God's chosen people, God's treasured possession. And as God's people, they reflect his character. He's holy, set apart from sin, so they are to be holy, set apart from sin. This holy life is actually the way of life that leads to real blessing. That's what God promises them. As they live as his holy people in his land, he will bless them. Things will go well for them. They'll enjoy all sorts of material blessings in the land that he's given them under the covenant that he has made with them. This is the good life, life in relationship with the living God. See, God's people are not to mess with sin. They don't flirt with it. They don't put up with the worship of these people who are in the land. They don't marry their children off and mix their families. They don't take up their practices. They don't hang on to their idols. That would lead them astray from living as God's holy people. Verse 25. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not cover the silver or the gold that is on them, or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. See, this is about them living as God's holy people. Loving God wholeheartedly means taking holiness seriously. It means not messing with sin. 
even taking drastic measures to cut it off so that we can live faithfully as God's people. Is there sin that you are nursing in your life? Something that you don't want to give up? Maybe a sin that you're flirting with? Maybe it's lust or a TV show you know you shouldn't watch but you enjoy it. An addiction you struggle with and you don't want to change. Maybe it's gossip, gluttony, drunkenness. Maybe it's a relationship that's leading you to turn away from God. Sin is deadly serious. Sin leads to death. It always promises much, but it can't deliver. Don't flirt with it. This morning, take it to God in repentance. Ask for his forgiveness. Rejoice in the forgiveness we have in him. Ask that he would help you to turn away from sin and to live for him. Confess it to another believer that you trust and ask for their help to turn away. Sin is deadly serious. Don't mess with it. Instead, love God by taking holiness seriously. And lastly, we love God wholeheartedly by remembering all that he's done. We're going to only look at this for a minute. Chapter 8, God shows them that loving God means remembering all that he's done for his people. In their land, they're to remember his faithfulness to them in the wilderness. That even as they were under God's judgment, he was with them. That he fed them and provided for them, humbled them and taught them so they would fear him. All this is God's faithfulness to his people, like a father caring for his son. Not only that, but they're to remember God's faithfulness in giving them this good land. This isn't the dodgy land that no one wanted. This is the good stuff. A land of rivers and springs, wheat and barley, a land flowing with milk and honey. They won't like anything here. Verse 10. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But this good land carries a danger. When things go well, it would be easy for them to turn away from God, to forget that all this came from him, to think that they did it for themselves and to turn away from the Lord. So they must keep remembering all that God has done. Just as they're to pass it down to their kids, they're to remember it for themselves. All of this is God's faithfulness. And it's the case for us too and a fitting place for us to finish. We need to keep remembering the gospel. Keep remembering that all we have is a gift from God. It's through Jesus that we have forgiveness and blessing and adoption as God's people living in relationship with him. None of it's us. It's all a gift from God. We must not lose sight of that. God has graciously saved his people. He's graciously saved us. And our only right response is wholehearted, all of life love for him. Loving him by remembering and obeying his commands, storing up his words in our hearts and living them out in all of our lives. Loving him by taking holiness seriously and not messing around with sin. Loving him by remembering all that he has done for us in the Lord Jesus. He's a gracious and holy God, a God worth loving with all of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your great mercy and grace to us. 
Thank you for the way that this passage has reminded us that our sin is serious and you are the judge. Thank you for the way that it's pointed us to the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. That he bore the punishment of death that we deserve for our sins so we can come to you and have eternal life in him. Heavenly Father, please work in our hearts through your spirit that we might grow in this kind of wholehearted, all-of-life love for you, life that starts in our hearts and is, is spreads out as we spend all of our lives in love for you. Please help us, Lord, to remember and obey your commands, to take holiness seriously and turn away from sin, and to remember all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.